Welcome to All Things Terror. Yes, I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is a researched podcast uh, where we bring you terrifying tales from science, history, and true crime. And sometimes, and so- oftentimes, our own lives. <laughs> in in the case of the mysterious pounding on the door, definitely yeah. from our real life. Or like that time I got dysentery, definitely from our real lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, also I... Uh, I forgot, I have a student who's originally from Puerto Rico, and um, don't whine at me, Felix. We were talking about something in class, I think about Mexico, and I was like, oh, I love Mexico, but yeah, you gotta be careful. And he's like, did you drink the water? And I was like, no, but I definitely ate some meat and got dysentery. And he was like, oh yeah, I know about, yeah, he's like, yeah, that happened. So somehow now a whole like 20 youths know that I once like had diarrhea for months and months. <laughs> Humiliating. Yeah. So like at any point, if you want to take stories away from humiliating and strange things that have happened in my life, I, uh, I would be happy. <laughs> this episode of all things terror. I'm going to tell you a story that Emily told me. about herself (laughs) but i do have a question for you um i want you to name mental illnesses um like depression and schizophrenia and anxiety and ocd and um Others? (laughs) Others? <laughs> yes, name as many as you can. Uh, borderline personality disorder. Um, being a psychopath, probably. Um, I don't know. I feel like there are more. All I can think of is a fugue state, which I don't know if that actually counts as a mental illness. <laughs> P- PTSD. PTSD, yep. A lot of people coming back from... War, get PTSD, plus people who survive things like shootings. Yep. Actually, people who, the population that has the highest uh, likelihood for uh, sexual, or for PTSD are sexual assault survivors. Um, so. Just to brighten everyone's day. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, can you think of some mental illnesses from the 19th and 20th centuries early 20th century like the 1900s yeah 18 18 like late 1800s to uh early 1900s um i mean i guess just being a woman who did anything probably they would be like you're hysterical lady um hysteria was a mental illness yeah i know that uh Dementia? Dementia. Yeah, homosexuality was considered a mental illness until, like, the 80s or something. Yep. Homosexuality. Uh, or, and this one is so offensive, but uh, mentally handicapped people. Oh, As they like to say, the mentally deficit. Yeah, they had all uh, kinds can... of bummer names for that. Yep. Uh, schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So, I I ask you this because um, 
well, we still aren't where we should be, probably because of the library that got burned who who knows how many thousands of years. <laughs> right? Ago. Many, many, many years ago. Um, even though we're, we're not where we should be when it comes to mental health, we have made great progress. Because it wasn't too long ago um, that, you know, depression wasn't treated seriously. Or, as you said, um, women were just diagnosed with hysteria instead of, you know, maybe women being the way they are because of the, you know, social and political pressures put upon them. Yeah. And their domestic servitude that they were forced to live for such a long time. Seriously. I mean, the this is... And I do some research on mental health. Um, and one of the things that I always go back to is like the first antidepressant that we had, Prozac, came out in the 90s. And before that, there just really weren't options. Like your options were like lithium, which is like you're not depressed anymore because you're fucking high as a kite <laughs> and like, like tranquilized. Um so, like, the idea of being able to treat mental illnesses is kind of new. Like, they've been around forever, but just thinking of them as something treatable instead of, like, oh, sucks to be you is is really frighteningly new. Yeah, and... um. There are a lot of horror stories about um, mental health facilities in the world, and I have decided that I'm not going to talk about a mental health facility. Oh, thank God. But what I am going to talk to you about is Dr. Henry Cotton. Mm, I don't know what this is, but I have a guess, and the guess makes me feel sad in my heart. Um... So Dr. Henry Cotton studied psychi- uh, psychiatry with Emil uh, Krapelin and Alois Alzheimer in Europe. So two very big names. Wait, did he, you say his last name was Alzheimer? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know they, why I never thought that was someone's name. I mean, it makes sense. Alzheimer's disease usually means that you discovered it or something. Right. <laughs> I guess that's what he does. Oh shit. It is. It is the Alzheimer, um, but then he also studied with Dr. Adolf Meyer of John Hopkins School of Medicine. So these are like three pretty important dudes in the dude bro science world of this time period. I bet there are still buildings at Johns Hopkins named after them. Probably. Do you, do you, are you a doctor at Johns Hopkins? Why are you listening to us? One, go study so you don't kill people. And two, tell us if that's true. We're really curious. Mm-hmm. And send us pictures. <laughs> yeah. So, um, actually, if there was a doctor from Johns Hopkins listening to us, it's probably just to make fun of how bad we are at science. <laughs> to be fair, we only do one science at a time. So That is true. So we can only, that's why we're, uh, you know, we can only focus on one so we do it properly. <laughs> we're, we're the low-calorie beers of science. <laughs> yes, great taste, but uh, doesn't really do much. <laughs> um, 
Um, so just to give you a little bit of a background of these guys, like, I know everybody's like, I know about Alois, it's fine, you know about Alois, I'm still gonna fucking talk about him. So, um, Emilk, uh, Krapelin was a very influential psychiatrist, um, he actually developed a classification system for mental illness, um, and he was- Did he also invent the crepe? Yes. Hmm. The crayfish, actually. Polymath. Bef- before Emil Crapelin, there were no crayfish. Oh, wow. And there was also no Louisiana, because Louisiana could not have existed um, without the discovery of white men. Mm, yep, it's true. Uh, as, uh, <laughs> as our history episodes have consistently shown, nothing existed before a white man saw it. That's true. Yep. So. Thanks, white men. <laughs> Emil Krapelin has now has a, uh, now has a butchered biography. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, what he is really known for is his distinctions between schizophrenia and manic depressive, which we don't really call it that. It's bipolar, um, bipolar disorder. And mm-hmm. actually... His distinctions were so valid that we still consider them, like, good job, true, today. Hmm. Wow. So. What? Is this, like, um, the 1800s? So this is going to be late 1800s, early 1900s. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, He also believed that mental illness fell into two categories. Um, curable. So curable... Mental illnesses are caused by external factors, like drugs, for example, would be an external factor. Or like, I I work really hard, but I'm still poor, and uh, I have to somehow also save for retirement. That makes me sad. No, that sounds like hysteria. Stop being hysterical. (laughs) Stop with your feelings and emotions, woman. (laughs) Um, Do you need a baby inside you? That's... That's probably, if you did get a baby, Emily, all of your problems would be solved. Yeah, just need a good dickin' and a baby. Yep. Um, so then there is incurable, his other category. I bet you didn't know that was coming. <laughs> uh, and incurable uh, mental illnesses are ones that have biological causes. So things like brain damage, metabolic dysfunctions, hereditary factors, those kinds of things. Scurvy. And scurvy. I'm actually, I'm sure scurvy caused all kinds of mental disorders. Um, well, Alice, Alice, when you oh, starve, when you starve to death, um, one of the first things that you just became very like detached, like your body can't manufacture enough energy for you to give shits about yeah. anything. So like people will, um, I read an article about um, a famine in India I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but um, one of the things that happened is like there would be a food station set up at, like at the end of a street and people would like higher up the street would just lay in the street and die because their brain like just does not function when you starve. So, I mean, sure. That's true. Yeah. Um, all kinds of things can cause mental symptoms 
especially severe diseases, which we've talked about some of those before, too, in our episode about never sleeping. So, so Alois Alzheimer also is a psychiatrist, but he's also a um, neuropathologist. He's super into brain research. Shocking, I know. And he's famous for discovering, you guessed it, pre-senile dementia, a.k.a. Alzheimer's. He did a 1906 presentation that made him super famous on Mm. the disease. So, um, Adolf Meyer uh, was one of the earliest doctors to recognize, and I don't say this as though it's a valid statement, it is just he recognizes that psychiatric issues are problems of personality and not the brain. He also believed that mental illness could be caused by bacteria, and a lot of this was based off of no, like the idea that when patients have high fevers, they start to experience delusions or hallucinations. So this is all you really need to know about these three guys that Dr. Henry Cotton studied with. I mean, I guess on one hand, it's nice to see that they're like, there's a science reason. It's not like demons are invading you because you're a heathen, but still not. Yeah, not that great, but yeah, could be worse, which I think is where you're going to go. Well, Dr. Cotton came to the Trenton State Psychiatric Hospital, which was also called the, I think, New Jersey State Lunatic Asylum. It had, like, half a dozen names or whatever. Um, He came to be the medical director at the age of 30. He stayed for 26 years. And he was the medical director and superintendent. So, you know, big shit. Big big shit on board. And... um, What's interesting is that the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital, so it opened in 1848 and was uh, the first public mental hospital in New Jersey, and it was founded with good intentions. In fact, um, Dorothea Dix founded the hospital. Oh, tell us us what Dorothea Dix is known for. So Dorothea Dix is a very famous activist. She was responsible for helping... I guess, like, uh, expand and open more than 30 hospitals for the treatment of mentally ill people. Um, She was also uh, involved in reformation efforts for prisoners. She was an advocate for uh, indigenous populations. And um, she also, I mean, as a social reformer, she spent, like, most of her humanitarian offer. Uh, effort trying to change the perspective on those who had mental illness and this was like a big to-do in the 19th century because you know 19th century still has some weird ideas about how things are yeah she's fucking Um, awesome she was a nurse during the uh civil war yeah she was a nurse during the civil war she did a lot of shit yeah um pretty pretty important person in history and she was involved in the opening of the psychiatric hospital and what is also significant about the psychiatric hospital is that it is also the one of the first public institutions that um put into practice the kirkbride plan and basically the kirkbride plan the 
cheapo summary of it is that it advocated for patient privacy and promoted a naturally lit and friendly environment. So no more prison cells and dungeons for those who have mental illnesses. Yeah, it sounds kind of funny, but yeah, it is basically like, don't put them in prisons anymore. In basements, make sure that they have fresh air and like good food and can walk around. And they're Um, people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Basically, just treat them like people. Um, Yeah, that's the Kirkbride plan, which I think was named after an asylum. Am I wrong? Kirkbride Asylum? Uh, I don't actually know that. That might be something we can Google. We're pausing, Clint. Google. We're Googling. Kirkbride plan. Oh, it's named after a guy. But he built... He built an asylum. Yeah, Kirkbride Buildings. Um, okay, can I ask what, before we go back in, can I ask what your topic is? Because there are things I want to say, but I'm like, uh, I don't want to say it if it's like going to steal what you're saying. I'm talking about what Dr. Henry Cotton did in this asylum. Oh, okay. Did he? Okay. We can, we can go back in. I remember the Kirkbride story now. The, okay, we we can talk about the Kirkbride plan more. Yeah, so the thing I I know uh, that I was trying to remember is he, it's a dude, and he started this plan, but he also made an asylum, and um, the Kirkbride Asylum, I think, um, started, it's, like, started out under really good um, intentions, like, we're going to treat these people like people, And then everyone's like, hey, this place is great. And it became, like, really crazy overpopulated and, like, didn't get funding and, like, became really run down and scary. Like, at first it was great and perfect, but then it really did become, like, kind of a horror house because people were like, yeah, send your crazy relatives there, but don't do anything else about it or fund it. And he was like, oh, my God, we don't have enough people um, to run this the way it should be. And so shit went awry. But his plan is solid if you don't overpopulate it. (laughs) And there's money. Yeah. And you hire people that are, like, down with the mission instead of just, like, yeah, I need a job. Um, So Dr. Henry Cotton had what people would call today pretty progressive policies. So one of the things that he did was uh, he removed the use of mechanical restraints. Mm -hmm. He was like, no one needs that. He started occupational therapy, and he prioritized patient safety. Wow. Um, If only we could get him to run America's prisons right now. (laughs) (laughs) And this this was a big deal. Um, You know, standard practice was to use mechanical straits with patients. Patients were treated more like prisoners than people. So remember, these are people that are mentally ill, right? Like, if they're being combative or physically aggressive, it's for different reasons. Um, Yeah, well, I will say in America today, the ACLU has filed suits against prisons that um, shackle women during childbirth, which is a human rights violation, and they're not supposed to do it, but they still routinely do it. So imagine giving birth, but you're handcuffed to the table. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, 2019, Um, woo! So things started off really, really great 
like 2019 Dr. Cotton. Mm, 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 mm. Get it, get He's it. He's doing good. Making a lot of positive changes. We're in this mental health facility that is really changing um, the experience of mental health uh, recovery. And, you know, it's got funding and things are awesome. I can really, <clears throat> I can really cotton on to this doctor. Oh. <laughs> I am proud but, and ashamed. <laughs> in 1913, something happened that um, that changed things for uh. this institution and really changed things for Dr. Cotton. He won the lottery and donated all the money? And that is the end of our episode. Damn it, Emily, you ruined my happy ending. Another blockbuster episode of All Things Pleasant. <laughs> um... In 1913, research was published that validated that the idea that bacteria, the bacteria that caused syphilis also caused brain lesions that gave people psychiatric issues in dementia. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I mean, they're not wrong. Syphilis is a bacteria, and if you don't get rid of the bacteria, it will give you brain lesions but it's not and, it's not mm-hmm. like there's a sif germ that you touch on a doorknob and then lick your hand and then it goes into your brain and gives you lesions right away so well when when this got when this published like the thing to know is that um you know dr cotton has already been uh exposed to the idea that bacteria can cause mental illness but when this research came out, he fucking loved the idea that bacteria, uh, bacterial infections cause mental illness so much, he fucked it, he married it, and bet the whole fucking farm on it. Like, he was all in on this was it. He fucked it, he married it, he renewed his vows. <laughs> he bought it a house, then he bought it another house, he bought it one more house, like, really into this idea. So what mm-hmm. happened... Um. So something that you guys have to keep in mind is that penicillin wasn't around yet. Yeah. So the treatment for infection was to surgically remove the infected organ or part. Oh, God, that makes me want to vomit. Yeah. So Dr. I mean, antibiotics weren't really widely given to people until like 1944. So, yeah, we're like 50 years away from that. So Dr. Cotton started performing surgery on his patients um, to cure their mental illnesses. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Now I think I know where we're going with this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) This one's going to be the worst part for you, I promise. Are you talking about lobotomies? No. Okay. That's a different episode, Emily. Oh, thank God, because the part where they talk about going through the nose makes me want to vomit. So his first strategy was remove teeth. <gasps> oh, oh, I hate when things happen to teeth. Mm, teeth and hands I can't handle. I wish I you- told you this was going to be the worst part. <laughs> I wish you could see me. I'm like pulling my lips down over my teeth like how horses do. Oh, my gosh. I hate it so much. I can, like, feel it in my face when, like, people get their teeth bashed out or anything. Oh, no. 
So I'm only going to spend a moment more on teeth. Oh. What he, he would look for are teeth that didn't look quite right, weren't grown in the right way, things that had cavities. He thought that these were, you know, sources of infection. And of course, there's pictures of this if you want to see what he did to his patient's mouth. We're not talking about one or two teeth. Like, he removed a lot of fucking teeth from people. Okay, also, this is, like, back before dentistry, which is a fucking crock anyway. Uh, yes. But this is, like, back before people had braces and, like, toothbrushes. So, like, fucking everybody's teeth was crooked and shitty. And also, we are in the, um, I guess the child child times of of science and surgery so <laughs> these people are being forced in to have surgery they're having their teeth removed they have very little for you know pain management and also post surgical healing Ugh. um we don't have penicillin so people that do have surgeries at this time are at high risk for infection yeah like here so, drink some whiskey with like cayenne pepper in it you'll be fine <laughs> Wash your mouth out with urine, as we learned from our scurvy yes. episode. And regret that you can't even eat. Oh, God. So, um, he would start by removing teeth. When that didn't work, <laughs> when his patients weren't cured, well, then he would take them back in for surgery and remove their tonsils and sinuses. Okay, I know that it's gross, but it's also kind of funny to think that, like, someone is, like, having, like, a hallucinatory schizophrenic moment and you're like oh excuse me sir here and then you just like yank out a molar and they're like oh thank oh i'm fine thanks you know like yeah like the <laughs> all the crazy is located in one tooth and you have to like tap on it figure out which one it is pull it out and they're like oh oh thank you <laughs> like a light <laughs> switch <laughs> man that tooth that toothache was causing me a great deal of consternation you're right uh here's my uh oh you have the bipolar canine i see well we can just pull that out and put a put a veneer over it you'll be way better (laughs) well and you know remember there are people here that have other mental disorders like it's not just mental illness there are people that are are mentally handicapped you know to Right. Well, sure. Quote their own work here. Because um, they, they have the autism molar. Right. And <laughs> and then they're, you know... Um, or the fed up with men's shit by cuspid. Listen, I, you know, p- all kinds of people end up in asylums. We're talking about, like, you know, children that became kind of adults that the family didn't want around anymore ended up in asylums oh yeah men Um, men could literally put their wives in asylums because they're like she's pissing me off because she's crazy and they're like oh okay we get it sir yeah yeah so um homeless people poor people all kinds of people ended up in asylums yeah so these people are being forced into these surgeries now so you think like teeth, tonsils, sinuses, okay. Well, when the tonsils and the sinuses and the teeth didn't work, then he moved on to removing things like spleens, colons, testicles, <gasps> ovaries, gallbladders, cervi- uh, cervixes, and significant portions of the stomach. Colon! What? 
One. Sorry, your poop has got the depression in it. <laughs> what the yes. fuck? Yes. One out of three patients would die from operation. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you need your organs. They like do stuff. They're, they were they were put in your body through evolution and science and fucking other biological processes, and they perform certain functions that you know help you breathing and functioning I day am to day. Never going to get over this guy thinking that your teeth or your colon contain mental illness, and so they must be removed yep what he's on what if he could get rid of the thing that was infected it would cure the mental illness so he just started chopping these people up and of the surviving patients cotton claimed that there was an 85 percent success rate and of course like the the uh, science community was like woo this is great news oh my god amazing you're so brilliant love you great 85 success that's so high um the patients actually became fearful um and they to the point like if surgery was mentioned they would fucking lose their shit of course and a lot of people were literally dragged into surgery, dragged in to the operation room. Now, remember, this time period, it is non-elective. You don't have a choice. If he says that you have to have surgery to be cured, it doesn't matter what your will is. Yeah. You're going to get fucking surgeried. <laughs> so, Jesus. Um, Dr. Adolf Meyer, you guys remember him. Uh, from earlier, one of his mentors, uh, you know, got word of all this great success that Dr. Cotton, his young uh, mentee at the time, had had all this success. So he's like, hey, Phyllis or Phyllis, again, I seriously don't know which way you pronounce that name, but I'm going to call her Phyllis, had asked Phyllis Greenacre to evaluate Dr. Cotton's work, and he was thinking, like, yeah, she's gonna come back, say some fucking sunshines, rainbows, all these good things. And this was in 1924 that he sent uh, Greenacre out. So Greenacre gets there and pretty quickly become very unsettled by the patient's appearances. Um, Their faces are sunken in. Um, when they talk, they they slur because they have no teeth. Uh-huh. Um, they have they smell bad, like their mouth smells bad. Um, she also discovered that the hospital records were a fucking mess. Like Cotton's methods and statistics didn't actually make a whole lot of sense. And what she found out is that very few patients recovered, and the patients that did recover. Um, their recovery was not correlated to the surgeries. Um, she also found out that more patients died than uh, Dr. Cotton reported, so it was oh, roughly no. about half of the people died that were under his care. Oh, no. And when Adolf, now Dr. Adolf Meyer, read the report, 
He decided not to publish the findings because he did not want to create any scandal for himself. So this this could have been stopped after Greenacre in 1924. But because Dr. Adolf Bro Meyer suppressed her findings, Dr. Cotton got to continue. But uh, yeah, thanks, white man. You've done so, so many great things for people. But you, you're probably thinking, well, he he had to get like called out at some point, right? No, like this is this is going to end with Doctor Cotton getting like fucking with the wrong person, and that wrong person has a family with a lot of money, and that family makes a big to do about it, and then Doctor Cotton gets a finger wagging and is sent away, right? Mm, no, I bet he gets an award. Um, because of his success rate, like lots of people came to that institution seeking his, help. His alleged, his self-proclaimed alleged success rate—that success rate. <laughs> yes, and just so you know, he also performed. Uh, teeth removal on himself and I read also that his children were not um, were not untouched by his beliefs and practices so Dr. Cotton retired and he opened his own hospital where he continued the surgeries and he died of a heart attack in 1993 he in, I'm sorry, did you say 1993? 1933. Oh, I was like, what the fuck? How did he live so long? <laughs> oh, I wish you could be inside my brain where I was like, of course, of course. Wait, no, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that frightened me um, so bad. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> he performed over 645 operations. Jesus. He literally killed hundreds of people. And he mutilated thousands of people. And several of his practices stayed standard in the institution until the 1960s. Mm. And if you're not looking into the weird shitty stuff like I am, and you look up Dr. Henry Cotton, he's still regarded as a famous and respected doctor. Yeah, dude, fuck that. So that is my story of Dr. Cotton. Ugh. I think, um, oh, God, that's gross. I am surprised I haven't heard of that before. Um, it's, I know that we talk about science and being pro-science, but there is this moment of, I think, where we see, you know, 100, 200 years ago, it was like, well, we can do whatever we want in the name of science. And I think that when people are anti-vaxxer or whatever, they still think that people are aggressively like, well, just do this. And I'm like, that's not how science works. Like, this guy was not a good scientist. This guy was a bad scientist because he had this theory that he cooked up in his own stupid brain and he tortured people in the name of it instead of looking at evidence and treating people humanely, which is what science is really about. Yeah. Also, and ugh. There's definitely some dark history in the medical world. Yeah. And I'm totally fascinated by it, but um, I just, I mean, what a nightmare. I can't imagine 
you know, being somebody who who really does suffer from something like seasonal affective disorder, gets sent to a place like that, probably already against their will, has surgery performed against their will several times. They may live, they may die. If they do live, they're they're gonna have some sort of like not only physical damage but probably some form of PTSD. Thank you, mental health institution. And then, and then, like, he never gets stopped. There was an opportunity for Dr. Meyer to do the right thing. And instead of doing the right thing, he protected himself. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I think this story also shows that we talk about a lot is, like, society will have prejudices against people. And then whatever they say, instead of trusting their own experience... We will say, oh, that's just a symptom of you being the thing I hate. Like, oh, you're crazy. Go live in an asylum. And then when you have legitimate fears about getting your teeth ripped out, instead of trusting that person and validating like, yeah, maybe that's a normal response. We're like, oh, this is just another symptom of your insanity. Or like the fact that a woman went and audited him and was like, yeah, this is fucked up. He's like, no, you're just saying that because you're a woman. And it's like, what? Like. I think you still see that today, like this idea of, oh, well, we can't trust you because you are a population that's weird or different or outlier, as opposed to saying, oh, wait, maybe your reaction is a normal human reaction to abnormal fucking events. Well, and I mean, all kinds of populations of people have been stigmatized and made to be less people so that, you know others can commit atrocities against them. And the thing is, is that, I mean, it's so hard to think about it. Like, in in our situation, living where we do and in the time that we do, but the reality is it can happen to anyone at any time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, uh, poor people were put into these asylums, just unwanted people were put into these asylums. It's not necessarily people that were... Uh, mentally ill and certainly not people who were like psychotic or criminally insane like these are ordinary people yeah. and today you're probably friends with someone or have a family member that would qualify for an institution like this yeah well not only that but like today if we want to look at what's going on i mean look at the percentages of people in prison who are mentally ill we still are not taking care of people who are mentally ill um yep. at any rate we we incarcerate them and we even if you're not mentally ill and you are in prisons i mean the dehumanization of things that we do to people in in our prisons in the US that studies have shown over and over again does nothing to help anything like it's just yeah it's upsetting well and you know that probably has a lot to do with like people's first in- instinct is retribution over reformation yeah. or education. So, and, you know, that that probably has a lot to do with, I don't know, maybe somewhat biology, but... I mean, I think... The, guessing. Yeah, I talk about this a lot with my students, but it's like the idea of, like, I think it's perfectly fucking valid that you first reaction is retribution like i think that makes sense that you feel that way but like just because that's the first thing your mind goes to doesn't mean that you're married to that like you can think through that you can feel that anger or whatever and you can 
keep moving beyond that, right? Like just because you have a knee jerk reaction doesn't mean you have to stick with that reaction forever. Like, in fact, if anything, if you have a strong emotional reaction, it means you should probably sit and think about that and figure that out before you like do anything else. I know it's almost like there was this time where they used to teach people think before you act, but (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's a myth. It's just like, I, I, because I teach composition and because I teach it through the lens of rhetoric, which is like looking at how words constitute reality, like there's just this weird line of like feelings are valid, but they're not reality. So like I can feel like you're an evil person and that is my reality and it makes sense that, or maybe it doesn't make sense, but like you can have sympathy for how I feel, but that doesn't mean you have to agree with it. And it's just this weird thing of like trying to think through that is somehow very difficult. I think a lot of the discussion about privilege is that same way. Like, oh, someone called me privilege and it made me angry. So therefore they're wrong. And this whole idea is bullshit. And it's like, nope, you're just angry because it feels weird to be called out and you're defensive and you don't know what to do about it. And so sit there, think through that and then like learn more and move on. It's fine. But anyway, um, listen, if you're still listening, you know, we go on these little, little chats at the end. (laughs) Oh, man, the fucking teeth thing is weird, though. Anyways, if you get your teeth pulled, it's not going to cure any complicated problems that you're having outside of your tooth is fucked. Yeah. Actually, one of my teeth is possibly fucked. Um, I I went to the dentist for the first time in 10 years, and he's like, you have a cavity. And I was like, fuck you, no, I don't. But it's starting to get a little sensitive, so maybe it is a cavity. But I've never had a cavity in my life. Um, and again, I didn't go to the dentist for 10 years, so fuck dentistry. <laughs> go get your cavity filled. Yeah, all right. It's one of my back molars. Maybe I'll just have them pull it out. <laughs> they're not gonna do that it's actually this is a good question for you your very back molars are they shorter than your other ones what do you mean like your molars are they all the same size i don't know i haven't observed them that closely i mean because the ones my back row of molars are like tiny they're like half the height of the other ones so i'm like what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Just yank it out. I guess mine are pretty short. Like, they're not anything like the front portion of my mouth. Yeah. I mean, listen, maybe my stumpy back molar with a cavity in it is the... <laughs> it holds all of my mental illness, and <laughs> when he pulls it out, I'll be a whole new person. Well, you can ask your dentist that when you go see him the next time. I kind of just want to ask a dentist if they'll pull the cavity tooth out instead of fixing it just to see what I imagine would be a look of horror on his face. Like, what (laughs) is wrong with you? And I'm just like, I don't think I'm using it. (laughs) You're the worst kind of patient. I I really am. I really am. Um, On that note. I think it's time to tell everybody goodbye. Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. Guard your teeth.
All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. Hi Jennifer. Hi Emily. How's it? How's it hanging? Oh my gosh! I just remembered a story that I meant to tell you, and I haven't. Um, it is a spooky story. Um, it's fast too, Clint. So, um, so the other night, I my house is a duplex, but instead of being side by side, I have like the whole bottom, and then my neighbor has the whole top, and the the street is at an angle. It's on a hill. So if you're on the street that I live on, you can get to my neighbor's house and then you go around to the alley and you go to my house. Um, so it's like two different levels that you enter. Um, and so I was in my living room and my living room is kind of the side that goes out to the alley. And, um, there's a door like across from where I was sitting, but that door doesn't face the alley. It faces my neighbor's house. This is all relevant, I promise. So I'm sitting there fucking around. I don't know what I was doing. And I just hear this woman in the alley yell, please help me, please help me. But like, and I tell this in two ways of like, it did it. There was no other sound. There was no other people. And there are a lot of like homeless people in this area. And so I just thought, okay, someone's yelling like she didn't sound panicked she didn't sound hurt she wasn't saying anything else so I was just like all right someone's just yelling whatever they'll keep walking no the next thing I know this woman is pounding on my window and then my door just yelling the same thing please help me please help me and I was like super scared like my adrenaline was way up right away and then Felix, who is, like, the nicest dog on earth, like, anytime someone comes to the house, he, like, screams with joy. He's like, new friend, new friend. Felix was, like, had his his hackles up, and he was, like, growling and, like, mean dog barking. The upstairs neighbor's dog started hardcore barking. We've actually had to not record some days when we plan to record because those dogs are barking. Those dogs and Felix were all, like, mean dog barking. And so I just got up, but I, I like went to the door, which doesn't have a people, but I just said, what's going on? Like, I can call the cops for you. I said that like out loud. So this person could hear it. And as soon as I said cops, she just takes off running. What? Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Just ran away. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So I called 911 anyway and, uh, was on hold for like three minutes which was upsetting where I was like, dude, what if someone was bleeding? They'd be dead by now. Um, 
And I just told the dispatcher, like, this is what happened. I don't know what's going on. And if you call 911, they have to send a cop car out. So I was just like, yeah, just do that. And she was like, yeah, don't go out. Like, well, you know, whatever. Um, and didn't hear anything else after that. But it was definitely spooky. And for like an hour afterwards, Felix was like laying, looking at the door. And he would just randomly go like, Woof, like whisper bark a little bit to be like, bitch, come back. Um <laughs> But yeah, so that was my weird, spooky tale. That was definitely creepy. Yeah, my first thought was that, as a true crime person, that this woman was, like, trying to get inside a house so she could, like, steal stuff or, like, I don't know, commit crimes in someone else's home. Um, And then I was talking to James, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, and he was like, oh, maybe someone was having a bad trip. And I'm like, yeah, that's possible. And then, like, that's why when they heard (laughs) cops, they were like, oh, no, I don't want to get busted. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it was weird and spooky. But, uh, yeah, so if you have um, mental health emergencies, guys, try not to frighten the people around you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, unless you, unless you need to frighten them for some reason, I guess. Yeah, I guess unless you need to, but it was, it was just really weird. And like the weirdest thing, the more, like all night I kept thinking about the weirdest thing was like, it really did just sound like someone yelling, like me leaning my head back and going, ah, like there was no other emotion in her voice. And that's like when suddenly someone was pounding on my window and then the door, that's what made it really scary to me was because it wasn't like panic or pain. I mean, maybe there was, but I couldn't hear any of that in her voice. It was just literally someone yelling. It was really weird. But anyway, I did not open the door. Um, you don't have to open the door to strangers. And uh, you can, yeah, you can call them. Like, that was the other thing, too, where I was like, dude, if this is a real emergency and you need help, like... I can call someone to help you, but I'm not going to go out there or let you in my house. Like, I don't know you. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's a nice, creepy story (laughs) to get us, get us kicking. Speaking of getting kicking. 